It's another episode of On Shuffle, and I'm your host, Micah Peters, and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. (sighs) Tough episode today. Last Friday, September 7th, Mac Miller died of an apparent drug overdose. He was 26 years old, and it hit me harder than I was expecting it to because it's really an artist that I've grew with, uh, which is... I mean, like a really simplistic way of putting it, but I did not like him at first, and he just kept getting better with every new project, reinventing himself. And Mac Miller eventually grew on everybody. Of course, there were no doubt people that were fans from the very first time they heard him, which was probably on his 2009 mixtape, KIDS, uh, Kicking Incredibly Dope Shit. That's the one that has the record Donald Trump on it, and the one that started his feud with Donald Trump. Also, Kool-Aid and Frozen Pizza, the freestyle of the Lord Finesse beat, He put out another mixtape, Best Day Ever, soon after that, and then a debut album in 2011 called Blue Slide Park that was panned widely for just being a little overly commercial and mediocre despite being a number one album. But after that, he got weirder. There was Watching Movie with the Sound Turned Off in 2013, which dove headlong into examinations of fame and his bouts with addiction. And he just kept getting better after that with each new album. Divine Feminine in 2016 is what everybody thought was his best album ever until Swimming came out in early August. And that became his best album ever. He just consistently got better. Along the way, It just seemed like he was very comfortable to learn things publicly. And nobody that I know personally or have seen out there has had a bad thing to say about him. Everybody has a good story. One of those people was John Mayer, who posted a really emotional note to Instagram that basically outlined everything I was saying. He said he made a quantum leap in his music that's incredibly hard to do to evolve and get better and more focused while your career is already underway. Um, One of the last pieces of content that we got from Mac Miller was footage of his intimate show at Hotel Cafe for maybe like a hundred people with uh, his new live band. And it was wonderful. It was the song that he performed was Hurt Feelings. And one of the lines on that record is, we've only just begun. We don't want to hurt your feelings. No, no. Yeah, we've only just begun. Which is why this is exceedingly tough to talk about. But we're going to try. So I brought in radio personality Peter Rosenberg, who had a personal relationship with Mac Miller and uh, got to see him come into his own over the years. And I also brought in a good friend of mine, John Tanners, who started out at Pigeons and Plain, is also from that blog era that we all sort of came from to cover everything else, to talk about Mac's place in music and the person that he grew into. So without further ado, let's get into it. I am here with Peter Rosenberg. Peter, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. 
let me like say up top that I I think I was taken with the honesty in his music. So every time you put out an album, it began to feel like you were checking in on a friend, so to speak, if if, I, if that doesn't sound too poetic. But I mean, like everybody has this moment where they won him over, sort of. And I know that he first did the Juan Epstein podcast in 2012 when he moved into his L.A. mansion around the time that Macadelic came out, where the tide of critical consensus began to shift. Mm-hmm. And I know that your relationship with him started almost like from a feud, right? Yeah, yeah. We um, It started before that, I guess a couple of years before when he first came out maybe immediately after um, the first video for uh, uh, Kool-Aid Pizza came out. I think it was like literally the, the absolute beginning. And, you know, it was just me being... Because he was rapping over a Lord Finesse beat, and you're just kind of like, who is... Yeah, know? I was just like, who is this guy? And, yeah. it was, and, it was, and I guess, you know what? I think it was actually, I didn't even hear the record. I just like saw his name pop up 50 times. And I was always super critical of white rappers. And like, this is actually really interesting. You go back, Mac Miller goes back far enough that he came out at a time in which being the thing that it is now, um, it's, it's barely a topic for new white rappers. Um, it seems to bear it, but like it still was. So mm-hmm. because at that time I had become really close with Asher Roth, I just sort of hated on him for no reason. Uh, but that didn't last very long. Um, almost immediately after talking trash about him, we got acquainted through someone. And uh, pretty quickly, I realized uh, how wonderful a kid he was. Could you describe that like first interaction, like uh, when you met him for the first time? You know, I, I, I'm, I've been trying, you know, when people pass away and it's become a little bit too common, um, both in my life personally and professionally, like these sort of things. but. I, I at least have a tendency to play this game where I start trying to remember everything. I guess everyone probably does that, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, like, after someone passes, you try to piece together an image of them. It's I feel like that's natural. Yeah, and you go through your own personal map of, like, when did I meet them? Where? How many events did I talk to them on? Because you have the main ones that stick out, but then there are these other ones. And I believe we met backstage at B.B. King's in like 2010. Mm. I don't remember what show it was, but I believe that's the first time I met him. And I don't know, then we continued. I really, I do not remember the early parts of our relationship in that way. I just know it got personal sort of quickly. My brother was trying to become his lawyer and through a family connection, my brother had been in contact with his mother. Mm. through like a Pittsburgh Jewish six degrees of separation. And we have good family friends um, who are from Pittsburgh. Like, Not that anyone cares about me this much, but if you ever notice, like I wear like penguins jerseys and things like that. Sure. We have like a Pittsburgh connection. So through that, my brother was trying to be his lawyer. And, and through that, we sort of formed even a closer relationship. And I you know, met his mother several times um, in the early days as well. Mm. You talked about when you when you were basically criticizing when he first came out that he was just great value brand Asheroth or whatever. But how would you say that Max survived through a bunch of different freshman classes, really, where you never really hear about Asheroth or Hoodie Allen or Mike Studd or any of those other frat rappers anymore? So that's a really great question. I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm close to the Asher story, so that's that's a deep one. 
but Max specifically is like really interesting. He just really actually, you know what? They tie together well comparatively because Mac built perfectly. It was like mixtapes and a mainstream single and another mixtape and an album. And the album was kind of commercial, but back with more mixtapes and features and working and working and working. And, um, it's sort of, it's interesting just to position next to Asher because when Asher came out, he had a pop smash off top. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love college. college. Yeah. I love college was much bigger to a wider audience than Donald Trump was. I love college was like a really big commercial crossover, not for his fans, just for everybody kind of record. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Donald Trump, I don't think ever made it to hot 97 rotation. I love college. might've made it like heavy rotation or close to it. Um, and as a result of that, I think the plans for someone like Asher got confused. And like, how do we now go? Whereas Mac and Rostrum deserves credit for this in the early days. They, they stuck with building him. Um, and it really just worked. And then on top of that, Mac's work ethic, you know, was just incredible. He just always worked his ass off. And let's be honest, he just got better and better, too. I mean... There's good stuff from the very, very early days. I mean, that first freestyle over the Lord Finesse beat is fire. Like, he did great stuff early, but he also improved. And, you know, one thing I've really been focused on over the last few days when I think about him in a professional sense is how high his ceiling was, you know? I mean, this is, this is on the ringer. Bill Simmons is the king of ceiling talk, right? Like, when it comes to athletes. Right. Like, like, Mac Miller from a ceiling standpoint, to me, the Mac Miller story at some point would have probably included an album of the year nomination or win. Like he was that kind of guy. He would have crossed genres. He would have been thought of as a musician and a rapper and a singer. Frankly, I, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if, if swimming gets nominated for rap Grammy, but I think one day he would have been the kind of artist who would have been in just the straight up album of the year category. I don't think that's overstating it when you're talking about his talent level. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that one of the, one of the videos I've been watching the most over the last few days is in addition to the one that I wrote about on the ringer, but there was a video of him just kind of chilling in the studio. Uh, it's like red lit backlit or whatever. And he's just playing. Isn't she lovely by Stevie wonder on the keys and like singing yeah. to himself. And it's just, I was just like, he was really a musician one of the last few photos on his Instagram is him playing the bass guitar, adding the last piece of music to swimming, like the live instrumentation. Like he just, his ear just kept evolving and like he kept reinventing himself just because he seemed to be just such a rabid music fan. Yeah. I'm struck by the same thing too. And I hadn't seen that isn't too lovely video until last night. And I was taken by it too. Um, Yeah. He's a really interesting one from a category standpoint, you know, like, Mac is in a category with people that is very limited. Um, it's funny, Russ, you know, is, is someone who does everything. Um, I was just, I just interviewed him. His album just came out. And I'm not putting them and comparing them. But and when you think about the people who do it all, I mean, J. Cole does it all. Um, Odyssey does it all. Uh, Pharrell does it all. Kanye at times, you know, did it all. Um, but there aren't a lot like it's that there's not an endless supply of people who can produce, truly produce, like make beats, produce, sing, rap, um, 
do everything right, do every single piece. He's really unique in that regard. And then, you know, with the Divine Feminine, he really elevated his musicianship. I mean, to me, Dang is one of the best sort of soul R&B records of the last decade. And he does that. And then, and then with this new album with Swimming, it seemed like he was really learning how to balance the two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Drake, Drake on a commercial level really balances singing and rapping in a pretty dope way. But on a straight up, just like musicality level, I don't know how many people could balance singing and rapping the way Mac did. I mean, it, it reminds you of Fonte, um, who, we, who we had on a record many years ago. Um, there's not, it's, it's limited to people who could just were such multidimensional threats. Yeah. Actually, this morning I was, was reading a few more eulogies and this one in the Rolling Stone written by Paul Thompson. He pointed out that it wasn't so much that he was an innovative stylist so much as that he could take the things that he was interested in and refract them through himself to make them uniquely his own. That's why it's just so galling because Swimming was like the most accomplished Mac Miller album. Like it was by far the best one. And because it was the last one, you have to expect that the next one would be even better. And, you know, you just it's it's going because you'll never get to know yeah i wanted to ask we have already talked about how the two of you became close you know out of being frenemies so to speak but what was it like to be in a room with him you know he he is you almost feel cliche talking about him because everyone sort of says the same thing he was just such a warm sweet soul and always was that like, I just, I, I, that's what's so hard. I'm struggling with that. And I have been, I've always thought that I've known about addiction. Cause like my best friend was an addict. And I always like, you know, I would like listen to Dr. Drew and like really care to learn about what addicts were going through. I, I don't know why. And I thought I had a pretty good understanding of it. And in fact, I talked about Max addiction with him a lot. Um, it was like a regular sort of conversation. I'd be like, how are you? Mm-hmm. I, I described it like this because I was in this weird situation the other day where, you know, people are giving me condolences, you know, from my life because they know that I knew him and I'm the only person they know that knew this public person who died. And I'm like, well, like, don't give me condolences. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really love Mac and had a real personal affection for him, but I'm not like his family. We weren't best friends. Uh, the way I would describe my relationship with Mac is probably like one you have with a lot of people where like the person's not your best friend. You talk to them, you know, on occasion, you see each other a couple times a year, whatever it is, but you just have a thing, right? You have a, you have a bond. There's, there is some intangible, beautiful human bond that exists. We all have probably, I don't know, a hundred, maybe we have a couple hundred. I don't know how it depends on the person how many of those relationships you have. Mm-hmm. But I got, I got to spend a lot of times in rooms with him doing interviews, listening to his music or just backstage at a show kind of hanging out. Um, and he was always warm and happy, which really confuses me in terms of the addiction thing, because I would, I knew the addiction was there. I asked him about it at rolling loud. I asked him about it at Lollapalooza. Like we only saw each other at those things for a few minutes and we talked about his addiction both times. I was listening back to my last Juan Epstein with him in 2016 and I didn't remember. We spent like 15 minutes talking about his sort of issues. But at the same time, it's so confusing because I can only picture him being warm and happy and sort of light. 
So I know there was this heavy side. He talked about it with me in interviews. Mm-hmm. But when I'm going back through my head, all I'm remembering is this sweet smile, you know? And like this person who was so warm all the time. And there's a reason that everyone in the industry is sort of pouring out their heart in this way that we haven't quite seen with necessarily anyone. And that's truly because of like the soul of who he was. You know, that's why I think all of us feel so close. Like anyone who dealt with him on any repetitive level felt so close to him because he was always warm. So a room with him was, it was a really sort of sweet, fun place. That's, that's who he was. I never got to feel, and I don't know about his family, and, but in my interactions with him over the years, of which I'm thankful to say there were many, I never got to feel a darkness or like things like that. I, I just didn't. Yeah. With everyone that I've talked to about this or anyone that you know knew him or had an interaction with him, anything that you might see online, it just seemed like he would just offer freely pieces of himself to people just... I mean, like leaving nothing but good vibes everywhere he went, even in the outpouring of uh, the L.A. music community. If you t- if you look at like Earl Sweatshirt or Vince, like it's just he always opened his home, free studio time, just come through and hang out for a little while. Like it's well, that, that that's another really important piece to remember is that when Mac moved into that big house in L.A. in Studio City, his first home there he started becoming the hub of, of underground hip hop. You know, he became the real connector between so many people, you know, uh, Alchemist, Bronson, Schoolboy Q, Earl Sweatshirt, all these different people kind of funneled through him in a lot of ways. And if you look, you know, in the end, ultimately he spent the last couple of years um, managed by Clancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Kelly Clancy, who were, were, were on Future's team. And I think that's a testament to how close all those people already were. So it seemed like such a logical thing for them to then just go ahead and manage Mac, because that's how tied up everyone already was. And, you know, just maybe two months ago, I was at home with my brother and my friend Quarterman, and we were all just talking about music, having a nerdy music conversation, and we're specifically talking about this and, like, how important Mac Miller frankly, was to the whole underground hip-hop scene. Yeah, yeah. Before I let you go, though, I, I wanted to ask, for because for me, it's been Objects in the Mirror, the, the live version. I've been listening to that the most over the last few days. And I mean, in addition to listening to Swimming a lot, but really, I've been stuck on that song. Has there been a song like that for you these last few days? I've been playing Small World on my show all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that had been the one that I've been playing since he like released it on its own or whatever. But honestly, the truth is, even though it's kind of interesting, which one is the one on the album? Is it the first song? My regrets. They feel like yep, sex. Yep, I yep, shouldn't yep. have said. Yep, that one is like, oh man, <laughs> it just it hits you square in the stomach. Don't you know that sunshine don't feel bright when you're inside all day. Two weeks ago, my wife just said to me, like, what's that line you keep singing? Because it always just stuck in my head. But the truth is, even though it's like really happy and <laughs> doesn't fit the mood, 
Dang is always the Mac Miller song I play the most. Mm-hmm. I can't keep on losing you. Mistakes do it take till you leave when I'm left with my hand and my face all red and the face looking at you like Every artist I've ever loved pretty much usually has like one song that forced to choose I listen to all the time. Mm-hmm. And to me, Dang is just such a complete record. It's such a beautiful and complete song. It's my favorite Anderson Pox song also. It's just such a it just makes me feel good. Yeah. And um so that's probably the one I've been going to. But then also, I'll Be There, the one with Fonte about his mom, which is an incredibly tough listen, you know, because the relationship with his mom was just so close. And, you know, if you were like, she was just an obsessed Jewish mother. And it probably hits me in the heart a little extra, you know, that relationship. Mm-hmm. That one too. But Swimming, listen, I mean, Swimming is a phenomenal album. If, if this had never happened, Swimming is on the short list for best rap album of the year. So I imagine I'll just con- kind of continue to rock with that for a while. Oh, man, of course. Uh, also, the, the record that we, we were trying to think of earlier was Come Back to Earth. Um, yes, Come Back yeah, to Earth, exactly. To Earth. Um, but, Peter, man, thank you so much for joining me and talking through all this stuff with me. Hey, no problem, man. Um, I appreciate doing it. It's been a very weird few days. And like I said, unfortunately, I've gotten a little too accustomed to things like this, so I'd be dishonest if I said this one wasn't different. I've I've had like ear, like people I really look up to die, mm-hmm. and people that I looked up to who I had good relationships with die, whether it's like Prodigy or Sean Price or Fife, like all these people who I loved and got to know over the years. Mac is hard because I watched him grow up, you know, and this so this one's been extra challenging. Um. By the way, and I, I will, I will still mention if people want to continue to celebrate him more. My um, my complex show open late. Our episode this Wednesday is going to be dedicated to Mac, and I'm going to have um a, a bunch of people who had personal relationships on with him, um, just kind of telling stories and and celebrating him. So I just think this is this is one of those things that I think stops the needle for me in hip hop. Like this, this requires some time to really like, um spend time with it. Um, so that's what I'm going to try to do. But um, thank you for uh, letting me talk about it. I appreciate it. Of course, of course, of course. And everyone, you heard it already, but, you know, watch that episode of Open Late. It's going to be a special one. Uh, thank you, Peter. No problem. That's really all I'm trying to say. We don't have a lot of time to waste. Somehow we got to find a way. Somehow we got to find a way. Quick break to talk about today's sponsor, Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. With three mattress models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential, Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Not to mention, the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And it's delivered right to your door in a small how-do-they-do-that-size box with free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. But the best part is that you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. After all, you spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com shuffle and using shuffle at checkout. 
That's casper.com slash shuffle. Use the offer code S-H-U-F-F-L-E, all caps, for $50 off your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. We're also brought to you by MyBookie. Let's talk about them. People always ask me for advice. I have no idea why y'all do that. Usually, it's what team to bet on this week. The truth is, I don't know who's going to win. But if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys, they are your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online. Their mobile site is easy to use. Not to mention, they have in-game live betting and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Plus, for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. So, lay down some cash and win big today. You win, they pay. Join now, and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code SHUFFLE when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code SHUFFLE when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. Lord, I need me a break. But I'll be good by the weekend. Yeah. I'll be good by the weekend. Yeah. Everything good by the weekend. Okay, and we are back to talk a little more about the sense of community from the blog era that Mac Miller really was emblematic of. And who better to do that than a good friend of mine, John Tanners of music blog Pigeons and Planes fame. Uh, He's moved on. He's doing his mogul thing now, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that. John, how you doing? I am doing great. I sound terrible, but I'm feeling really phenomenal. John, I wanted to talk to you because we both kind of came of age, so to speak, in the quote-unquote blog era. It was kind of like the sort of social contract where artists and bloggers kind of equally relied on each other, which I think (laughs) is why Mac Miller's passing this weekend was especially difficult, even if you weren't the biggest fan of his music. Would you say that that's kind of zeroing in on the situation? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it also was a situation where, you know, as with artists like Tyler and Earl, there was a sense of growth from the moment an artist appeared on Tumblr or on certain blogs to the moment that these artists reached in the past year or two. You know, particularly in the case of Mac, I think he started out as this kind of like, he was a blog rapper, but it was also a, a very much a YouTube thing in the beginning. You know, I remember seeing the, the Donald Trump video on YouTube before. I remember hearing about it on, on blogs. And um, maybe that was because of Tumblr. Maybe it was because somebody sent it to me. But but I just, I remember thinking, all right, well, this is, you know, I mean, this is kind of this suburban, maybe it's frat rap, maybe it's not. And then watching, you know, someone who clearly was a voracious listener and who was a part of a a kind of new ecosystem of of sharing. I think that's what you're speaking to where a lot of the artists and a lot of the personalities that Mac encountered were people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be fans of Donald Trump necessarily, the song, not the, not the man. Um, And, you know, he, over the course of his first few projects and and into the, the present showed this kind of, broad perspective on on music and showed a kind of willingness to learn and grow and that was always something that that you know as we saw in the kind of early 
blog era where artists like Charles Hamilton blew up very quickly and weren't given the opportunity to grow in any kind of meaningful way in the, in the public eye and were chewed up by the, the major label system at the time. He was a part of something that was a bit more, um, I don't know, there was, a, there was maturation seemed allowed because of the community that he was in, because of the support of the people that he came up with. So that, you know, that I think get, gets to some of what you're, you're asking about. It might not get entirely to the heart of it, but I also do think that there was a new version of the industry brewing where a lot of the writers who wrote for sites like Pigeons were also fans and lovers of the music and wanted to, you know, whether it was for, for personal reasons or just because they were supporters, they wanted to help launch the careers of artists like Mac. So, yeah, artists that they believed in and, uh, yeah, wanted to, uh, I guess, attain a larger platform for. You wanted people to be into the things that you were into. And it's also partially, it was, you know, it's the same thing that it's always been, right? Like, bloggers share music in the same way that we would trade Pokemon cards. You know, you, you yeah. want to be up on something, you want to share it with people, you want to be at the same showcase as South by because there was a sense of community in a way that the internet made both easier and more difficult. And I think he was an artist who was the, the nexus of that. Right, right, right. And I mean, like it was that community of sharing that you're talking about was also, and I talked to Peter Rosenberg a little bit about this earlier, just the fact that his mansion was, became this kind of hub, whether or not he was actually collaborating yeah. with people on a specific piece of music, it was always open and people could come through and he could position himself as a sounding board for ideas. Yeah. I mean, like, it's kind of like we are the last generation of, uh, I guess, I don't want to say when South by was South by as we knew it before, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it, I think that that does get at the heart of the idea that you were talking about a little bit earlier about how it's, um, share the, the community of sharing. Yeah. But I think it's, I think also a big part of it is like thinking about where the music industry has gone, uh, in the last decade or so where regionalism is, it isn't completely melted down, but it has started to deteriorate in the sense that when artists gain a little bit of notoriety, whether you're an NBA young boy or you're a little baby, or, you know, you're an artist that's based in another region, you're going to Atlanta or you're going to, to Los Angeles after you start to blow up, right? You're YBN Corday, you're in Maryland, and then you're suddenly in, in LA most of the time or in New York. Mm -hmm. and, and Mac moved to LA towards the beginning of that kind of, that exodus, right? I mean, you, you talked about his, his house, you know, I, I was, I had the opportunity when I moved to LA to go there with these producers that I've worked with for a long time day trip. And we weren't even there to meet Mac or to work with Mac, but you could just tell that the atmosphere that he was creating there was kind of like one, it was, I mean, it was a big kid growing up in the spotlight in Los Angeles, but it was also someone who wanted to make stuff with his friends. And I think a lot of people who were getting to LA at that time or who were starting to blossom in LA at that time. I mean, again, pointing at odd future, you look at, you know, a group of kids who really just wanted to make cool stuff with their, their friends, right. And like mm -hmm. put it on the internet and, and connect with other people about it. And that's gone the way that it's gone. But that was, there was really a, it was a period of 
loose collaboration that now in some ways is kind of codified in the way that rap functions, right? Where it's just like, everybody wants to work with everybody because it's partially a good advertisement, but also you never really know what you're going to get out of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Creating not necessarily with with making a product in mind so much as it is with like creating, enjoying the process of it. Yeah. And it also, it felt like somebody's dream, right? I mean, I think, I think that's sort of the, what's, what's so hard about so much of the experience of fame and being famous in the way that, that Mac Miller was, is that it, it feels, you know, imprisoning in, in its way. And that's nothing, that's not a new concept but so to see him in a place where he was surrounded by friends and creative people and creative people were coming in and out there was just something kind of magical about that like you were saying it's 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 like a dream that somehow against all odds hoping against hope didn't stay a dream it was like actually right. in the process of becoming which is why this was as sad as it was yeah and again, I think also there was, there's an element, you know, we, we're very fast to judge artists now, right? I mean, it, that's, that's also a product of the kind of easy bake internet age. Mm-hmm. And we, we forget that artists have, you know, Dylan went electric and lost fans, you know, and then came back and won new fans. Bands go through different eras you know, not to compare artists like Bowie and Neil Young to, to rappers of the current moment. But I think, you know, there was a, in the past, there was a greater appetite for changing phases in an artist's career. And even when I didn't necessarily love everything that Mac put out, I always respected the sort of the exploratory approach that he took to every album, because it seemed like something that was, born out of like a, a real desire to find his own voice, you know, and sometimes that voice required working in places that we'd already been. And sometimes it, it, it saw him doing things that were really interesting and that felt very deeply personal. But, you know, a lot of the time it was really satisfying, um, especially in the kind of the, the period after watching movies with the sound off, which for me was kind of like, even though he had had, he'd entered the popular sphere, that was the moment that, I think he sort of like planted his flag in the ground. You know, he was going against Kanye and J. Cole that day and saying, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm Mac Miller. I'm my own artist and I can stand against whomever. Right. I mean, like at the particular moment that at which it was happening, I mean, like having your first album be a number one album, despite, right. you know, like, you know, critical consensus was what it was. I didn't like it either, but having... Right that amount of commercial success and then being like, you know what? I am actually just going to do some stuff that I've been wanting to do and put out an album that has like, that's half down tempo and really murky and pensive and boldly personal and continue to, to keep taking chances like that. That was emblematic of a, of a moment in music where artists were trying to blend genres and to get more personal and that you you had the, the, the Rory's of the world that came shortly thereafter. And I think we're still trying to figure out how do we mix different genres in a way that feels not quite Frankenstein together. I don't know that, that Mac ever went that far out, but I think he was a part of that kind of loose 
collective of artists who are saying, I don't, you know, I'm a rapper, but I don't necessarily want to be limited by the the connotations of what that means. I'm a musician. I sing. I can play. You know, I'm, I'm actually a multifaceted creator. Well, I mean, and like, that's something and, that yeah, and, and saying that and have it be true versus something that you are just trying to repackage yourself to sell to a different audience is I think the thing that was the most endearing thing about Mac. Yeah. One of the things that I keep seeing in Instagram and Twitter eulogies that friends and, and people that I'm close with who worked with him or, or that knew him continue to say is that the sort of the openness and the generosity of his spirit, that even through his ups and downs, which were publicly documented, there was a, a magnetism and a kindness to him that I think speaks to both what we're talking about with his house and also kind of gets at the, the collaborative and exploratory spirit, right? I mean, it, it speaks to a sort of general openness. Obviously, that's Going back to your original question and the original point, I don't think that everyone in the era that we came up in possessed that, but I think we also all benefited at one point or another from the open door of a friend who was a manager or another blogger or a producer or an artist and this kind of loose network of people who said, you know, if you're one of my people, you can meet my other people. And if, I, if you're new to this town, you should hang with these people. And, it, you know, it, it was the kind of thing that, I mean, we were both, you and I are both people that moved from different places to Los Angeles without jobs and were hoping for the kindness of strangers and, and loose acquaintances to like help us down the road. Right. It would be somebody that you might have never met in person or only talked with a few times, but you're for whatever, for whatever reason, your interests aligned and they were like, you know what? You're good people. And here's a leg up. (laughs) Exactly. And that's what, you know, you know, you know, not to pluck broad meaning out of Mac's story in the wake of his passing, but I think that it just seems that he embodied that, spirit so completely and, and, and so effortlessly. It was really who he was. That's the kind of, that's the striking thing that I've seen across stories, even from people that didn't know him particularly well, is that he just embodied a kind of, uh, a kind of passion and uh, just a, a genuine, you know, kindness towards others that is rare in a, in a business like this. That it is. John, Thank you very much for joining me and and working through this stuff with me. I really appreciate it. It is likewise very appreciated, man. It's it's not easy. But I appreciate you having me on. Of course, of course. All right, y'all. That's the show. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to Peter Rosenberg. And be sure to check out his tribute to Mac Miller Wednesday night on the show Open Late. Thank you very much to John Tanners for joining me as well. Shout out to my producer, Zach Mack. Also, if you like, I did write about uh, Mac Miller. I thought about it for a really long time, wrote about it, cried a little. It's all on theringer.com. Great website. The link to that will be in the show notes, as well as a link to our playlist, which we will be updating this week with all of our favorite Mac Miller songs. 
A link to that is in the description as well. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Peace. Check us out next week. Stay up. <laughs>